0: This is a CBC podcast.
1: Hey, I'm Claire Bonnieman.
0: And I'm Min Dorywol, And welcome to the Loop.
1: When I say the phrase, spring is in the air, what does that mean to you, Ben?
0: What what conjures in your brain? Uh, varnays and boat shoes. <laughs> <laughs> People are gonna be like, what the heck is Salmon-colored
1: khaki shorts. That's
0: it. <laughs> The 80s, springtime.
1: (laughs) Well, you were saying even this morning, yeah, you heard like an 80s song on your way into work, and you're just like, this is a summer, spring vibe.
0: Yeah. Springtime in Edmonton is like, you've just survived the winter and... The kind of shoulder season, and now things are starting to get green. Yep. As these
1: seasons change, there's a whole lot that gets stirred up in the city. Stirred up, yep. Um, I, for one, I'm totally here for it. You know, we got the pollen. We have the sound Mm. of the cars revving. We have the dust. Yes. Um, But this summer, too, it's nice because it feels like we're approaching a much more normal summer than we've seen. We've got concerts going on, gatherings, indoor and out. I see people along White Ave all the time now. Yeah, All that really good stuff. But many people, especially— Approach this season on wheels. Right. We talked about skateboarding, which is not your sport. Mm. Those are not your wheels. So, what are your wheels?
0: Um, I've got this mountain bike, Mm. Uh, my brother's 1988. Specialized hard rock. Uh, I think it's a specialized hard rock. Anyway, it's Ooh. a specialized mountain bike. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of vintage action going Ooh. on there, but it's it's cool. It's Very a nice. Tubular frame, if that means anything to you. Like it's yeah. skinny, the skinny tube. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just fun. It's a fun ride. Hit the trails and just I love cruise around.
1: I love biking. I, get, I don't know much about it except that my bike is bright yellow. Oh, yeah? And I think that makes it go faster.
0: And does it have, like, big handlebars and a basket on the front? No, like, it's a specialized,
1: <laughs> like, it's a commuter bike. okay. But she's bright yellow.
0: Oh, well, that's... She looks like a lemon. Sounds cute. Thank you. But now that it's spring, a certain segment of our city's population turns to its love of everything cars and motorb- motorbikes, right? A more vroom, vroom. Yeah, absolutely. You can hear them. You can see them. Local parking lots are transformed on weekends into show and shines. And uh, talk about old classics and current classics uh, that is obviously bound to happen.
1: Yeah, I love when you're driving around on the weekend and you see one of those really old cars. Yeah. But I know, Min, you went somewhere that a ton of Edmonton Motorheads gather.
0: Yeah, definitely, and will be gathering for sure. And uh, it's called Yesterday's Auto Gallery. It's on the south side, and I went and checked out some of the nicest car collections in the city, which are, are there, uh, from like cars from some of the nicest yeah. collections in the city. And uh, I also met uh, uh, Taylor uh, Makarowski last week, and so she races... Uh, dragsters, right? What, like, how do you even get into racing dragsters? Like, what's Taylor's yeah. story? Well, no, that is a, definitely a good question. I mean, uh, her story is really quite amazing, right? So she's this 26 year old paramedic by day, but once the weekend rolls around, she slides into the cockpit of this 2,000. Horsepower alcohol dragster, which is crazy. It's those long ones with the skinny t- tiny wheels at the front. yeah the big huge massive wheels at the so back.
1: 2000 horsepower. how much horsepower is Whoa. like a normal car?
0: a normal car might be might be 200 might be 180 Whoa. 190 200 okay so 10, ten times this is fast yeah it goes fast Whoa. yeah definitely goes fast so she uh, is one of uh, two female drag racers who race for twisted Motorsports a locally owned uh, drag racing company and she got into the sport after she was di- diagnosed with cancer when she was a teenager so when wow. she was 14 years old so at the time she was at the Stollery hospital and uh, she got a chance to uh, see and ride in a top alcohol dragster and get to see it up close and personal, to see the people who work on the crew and things yeah. like that. So she got hooked right away into racing as a teenager, especially after she beat her cancer.
2: Well, when you first get diagnosed with the stallery, they ask you kind of what are your interests because they want to make the most of your time there, right? Um, so I had said cars and racing because I was always into cars. And so they got this ride donated. So they said, hey, do you want to go? And I mean, I remember I was super sick when they called and absolutely I wanted to go. Like this was once in a lifetime opportunity, right? So I remember going and just being amazed and the person who was doing the ride didn't just take me for a ride, but they took the time to introduce me to all these amazing people who are now have become family to me. And so that was kind of my introduction into racing. Like without that ride being donated to the Stollery, I never would have made it
0: here. Wow. Yeah, it is pretty wild.
1: Now I gotta know what is an alcohol dragster? Blown
0: alcohol dragster. So these are vehicles that n- normal vehicles will run on on gasoline. Yeah, right. And so th- with a blown uh, dragster, it's supercharged and it's burning alcohol, so methanol. Oh wow! And so sometimes they'll it, it'll be a combination of of uh, you know uh, alcohol and gasoline. Right. And sometimes it's just pure alcohol, <laughs> and very flammable, very dangerous. Oh my god! But uh, you know Taylor's right into this. No kidding. And um, you know she's uh, she goes she goes fast, like down the track a quarter mile in under seven seconds.
1: <laughs> I can't even imagine. It's um, crazy. And it's really it's really lovely, honestly. That those same folks who gave her that chance ride when she was just a teenager are now a really big part of her life yeah. and her career.
0: I mean, that doesn't always happen, right? People no. cross your paths, uh, you know. Especially, I mean, if you're going uh, through a health scare like that at the yeah. stallery, I'm sure you you run. Uh, into all sorts of people right so um it really you know proves the point that you just never know uh what kind of impact that person is going to have on you right so yeah. Taylor and her family uh and and uh you know the the co-owner of the the racing company Craig Anstead they're they consider each other family now
3: right first of all we're hoping we would see her in the spring to come and race uh and then it became apparent after the first month or so that she had some a some natural talent and, she didn't make all the races, almost won a championship. Um, so, yeah, we knew there was a passion for it.
1: I mean, 10 years is not a short time. No. Uh, this started when Taylor was, you know, really just a kid battling cancer. So tell me about that relationship with Craig. Like, what's yeah. that been like over the years?
0: So, yeah, the initial uh, introduction to the car and stuff was when she met Craig and, and, and members of his pit crew. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, fast forward 12 years later, that same crew... And, you know, her dad is like the head mechanic now for the team. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Craig's kids race as well. Like it's, yeah, it's become like a blended family. Right. And, uh, he really, uh, views Taylor as one of his own kids. Now we're
3: all one family. Her dad's our crew chief and one of the owners. And, uh, we all eat together, drink together, do everything together. We hang out outside of racing. So it's been a transformation.
1: I mean, you don't often hear about, I, I don't hear about blown alcohol dragsters much, but you definitely don't often hear about female ones. Yeah. What's that been like for her to be a female in such a kind of a male-dominated field of racing?
0: Yeah, it's it's absolutely been a male-dominated field, but uh, there have been some pioneers, right? Shirley Muldowney is a, a very popular name that people will be familiar with. and um, But yeah, Taylor has seen all the stereotypes, right? So yeah. when she's... She talked about being in the pits and the fans coming through. They go straight for the, you know, first male they see and they start talking about the car. And she's kind of the one who's racing the vehicle and behind the wheel. She's wearing the jumpsuit as well. But um, it's just the way people's, you know, heads are kind of wrapped around sport. Yeah, slow to change. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, you know, she does say it's changing now. And, um, you know, she sees a lot of young girls and teenagers coming through kind of. Asking questions about, hey, how did you get into this? Or how can I get into this? So, which, I mean, you know, keeps her going, right? Yeah. And uh, then when she tells them she goes down the track in under seven seconds, going 250 miles an hour, uh, I think everybody is listening oh. to her tell that story, right? Oh my gosh. And so, uh, absolute adrenaline rush keeps her going. And, uh, you know, she really is helping break those stereotypes along with her teammate and um you know a lot of those fans come down to the pits and uh, craig was describing it as you know little ducklings falling around their mom because that's what ends up happening because then they want to kind of just hang that's out with awesome. her so she she definitely is inspiring um other females to take up the sport every time she's on the track
2: i love it i love getting to share my sport with the fans especially kids that's the future of our sport and i definitely want to welcome them in and hopefully have them embrace the sport and I mean, without the future generations being interested in racing, the sport isn't going to last. So I definitely take the time to kind of show them around and answer any other questions. And yeah, I love the fans. It's it's why we do it. Right.
1: I know that you initially found Taylor's story in part when you were kind of finding yesterday's auto gallery. Right. Right. Yeah. So so what's the connection there? What's that place all about?
0: I I don't even know where to begin with this place. Like, you know, I've grown up in this city, and this place has only been at at the location. It's just off of uh, 51st Ave, um, just, uh, you know, a little east of 91st Street. Right. From the outside, it looks like this. A government building from the 70s, which it, it was for the longest time. Huh. And then, uh, you know, a couple of fellas uh, took it over and they thought, hey, you know, there's such a rich racing history, car history in Edmonton, we need to showcase uh, some some of the cars from people's collections. And this is what it's become. So, um, you know, Bill Store is the general manager and curator of the place. And, uh, you know, he's trying to bring in all different kinds of cars through this gallery, right? So uh, right now they've got a lot of muscle cars. Got a lot of Mopar, which is Chrysler, and mm-hmm. uh, they've got some cars from the 30s, 40s, wow. 50s, like the big, huge boats, you know, that you see in Mad Men and 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 stuff like that, and oh. shows like Mad Men, yeah, and um, so you know. Um, Recently, through some of Bill's racing connections, because, you know, he he used to drive muscle cars and race back in the day. He got Twisted Motorsports to come in and put their funny car and blown alcohol car on display. Okay. And so uh, the dragster was on display during their open house, and uh, Taylor was there to kind of, you know, show people around the cars and to tell her story and share it with uh, some of the fans that were coming through.
3: Well, our owner and I are drag racers. I go back 40 years to the old Speedway. Glenn also raced his car, campaigned here at this um, track, uh, the local track now. So with my background, I was able to just pick up the phone and organize a drag show, drag race cars. Craig was immediately, you know, uh, given that name. And when I met Craig, he came in, kind of know of each other, right, through the circles, and he told me Taylor's story. Absolutely amazing. Just amazed me. And, and just the, the kind of incredible character she has to do this.
1: I mean, I'm a sucker for a throwback. Right. And I loved Mad Men. So yes. this place sounds so cool. Um, yeah. But tell me, I mean, aside from these cars and, and dry cars specifically, you know, what kind of stuff do they really have there?
0: I, I mean, I, I am, uh, I've am i never owned a muscle car, but I, growing up, I watched them like in movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it yeah. was a big part of the 70s and 80s. And so I'm a sucker for those cars. <laughs> and this place, you know, the, the amazing thing is each one of those cars in that auto, auto gallery has a story. And, and Bill knows the story of each car, like Dang. where it was made, uh, where it was, where it lived for most of its life, where it was found in what barn, um, you know, what they had to do to get it, where, what auction it was at. like Wild. It, it, it was crazy. And so he was talking about uh, all these different cars. And one of them. Uh, was one of the prized vehicles of of the collection there, uh, and in any car collector's uh, garage, garage is a 1970 Plymouth Superbird. So you may have seen this car. It's like long, okay. has like this uh, has the Roadrunner on it, and okay. has a big wing on the back. Oh. Because it used to go really fast. It was used in NASCAR. Yeah, This car back in the day, apparently, $4,000 off the lot. And now at auctions, it goes for as much as a quarter of a million dollars wow. US. It is crazy, right? And so uh, apparently uh, the Roadrunner graphics, which are all over the car, yeah. like on the steering wheel, there's a little Roadrunner. It says beep, beep. When you yeah. hit the horn, it makes that sound. <laughs> so apparently Chrysler had to pay big money for it in, 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 uh, back in the day in order to allow you know the logos to be put all over the car.
3: Yeah, so the one here in the gallery, this is a numbers-correct car, and we'll educate people when they come in to what all that means. But we have the original bill of sale, so it verifies this car is real and true car. We have the broadcast sheet, the build sheet. This car has about 51,000 miles. The interior is original, so that makes it really, you know, prove that this is a real car. It's had one repaint on original panels, so it's an exceptionally good car. And where did this car come from? This car originally uh, was new in Connecticut. It then went to a New York museum and then through an auction found its way here to Edmonton. And it has been here for about ten years now. Like it, it is so crazy. Like, yeah, you're bright, showing
1: me a picture here, yeah. bright red. Bright
0: uh, orange actually. It's is orange. It orange. But um, you know, on on the back fin of this two hundred twenty thousand dollar vehicle. Is, <clears throat> yeah. There's a <laughs> roadrunner, the road road right? <laughs> but um so apparently there were uh, over a thousand Superbirds, No, over two thousand made back then. Okay. Right, so they uh, and the way Bill explained it, they would give uh, like one or two to every dealership uh, across America and into Canada. And so now here we are, over fifty years later. There's there's around a thousand left. Wow. And and most of them are like have been redone and brought up to like you know what they looked like when they came off the lot. Yeah. But just to look at that car and the (laughs) the length of it, and just the history behind it. Like you heard him talk about going through an auction in New York and ending up like. Like, it's nuts.
1: It's kind of amazing that we have some of these stuff, like, here, right here right in Edmonton in and how yeah. it ends up here. But I'm curious, are any of these cars a little bit more local, maybe? Or do they all come from somewhere
0: else? Yeah. I mean, Bill was talking about how uh, Edmonton was a big – it's a big car place. Like, racing back in the day, uh, Edmonton Speedway, and there's a, the long, there's a long, rich history around racing. So uh, definitely in that collection, they have some cars that – that were sold right here in Edmonton, like on Jasper Ave or, you know, on one of the dealerships back in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Right. And so uh, he showed me this Packard, which uh, was from 1951. And uh, Packard was an iconic uh, brand uh, for many, many years. And so this car that he showed me, I think he said it was around $7,000. So back then in the 50s, 7,000, that was a lot of money. That was more than what some houses cost.
1: That's some Don Draper money.
0: (laughs) That's Don Draper money. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So he said, if you were driving a Packer in the fifties, you had wealth. People like yeah. it would be like driving a uh, you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars Cadillac or whatever it is Absolutely. now, right? And so uh, he he also showed me this nineteen seventy Mustang, which was also bright orange, uh, and it's an original car which was bought by a local or at least bought at a local Ford mm. dealership, and it was just like absolute mint condition, like it had just rolled off. The, lot.
3: the big thing about Edmonton, you know, is the car capital of Canada. It was rated that back in the 90s by Popular Hot Rod Magazine. They picked five cities, four in the United States. Edmonton was the only Canadian one. Our racing lineage is incredible. And this car was only one of 21 built. So it speaks to, hey, one of them got to Edmonton. So this is a racing town, you know. And Edmonton International Speedway was the focal point.
1: So you've been showing me photos. Yeah. You've been telling me about cars. I love Roadrunner. I love Mad Men. And now I really want to go check this out. Should we go check out some wheels? Yeah. it's
0: Honestly, you could probably kill two, three hours in there easy. Each car, like each car has a story and, and it's definitely a place worth checking out.
1: Something else that's in the air during spring is love. Uh, particularly the romantic kind, but when COVID rocked the world, it also drastically changed how we meet, connect, and relate to potential partners. CBC's Gabriella Panza Beltrandi took a deep dive into today's dating world, and she joins us now on the loop. Hey, Gabriella. Hey. So dating is a really uh, big topic <laughs> a little bit, why did you want to explore
4: this? well um it's clear that over the course of the pandemic, first of all, we all kind of struggled to connect, especially <laughs> yeah. if you were in a relationship like a lot of us mm-hmm. like me, maybe <laughs> um, and as things started to open up, I started noticing more events were starting to open up for things like speed dating and those kind of things to find a romantic partner so I decided. Eh, I have nothing else to do on a Thursday night. I'll try it out. You went for it. I I did. Um, <laughs> I met some very nice people. Mm-hmm. I am still single.
1: <laughs> Fair. So a fun time, not a not a fruitful time. Maybe. Yes, it's yeah. weird
4: to suss people out in five minutes. Yeah, I, yeah. But just like going through that experience and trying it, this thing that, as far as I know, has been around for a very long time. Since like my parents were around, at least probably before them. Just. <laughs> I was wondering just what else is coming back and what is dating looking like now that we're kind of coming back to this time where everything's opened up again, but we still have things like online.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I feel like nowadays, everyone has a dating story, whether you're partnered or not. You've had an experience that you always want to share. Uh, So where did you start with this story? Who did you get to share that experience? Well, I started talking to some friends and
4: my own experiences, too. (laughs) We've all, a lot of us have tried the things like online dating, going out to bars, and it's just, it's just a challenge for everyone i think that's a universal experience for people um when you're trying things like online there's a lot of different things that kind of hurt your ego sometimes (laughs) you'll send that really nicely crafted message to someone and get like no response and you're just like do i text them back you're like i tried so hard i liked your dog (laughs) or like you get ghosted which is kind of worse too in a way because you're just like oh was it my breath (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't really know. You never have an answer. Yeah, was it the witty conversation? Do you just not like me? Or like... There's even, like, examples of people being scammed for, like, money or goods and things like that. Like Absolutely. That, like the Tinder Swinder, that, that recent movie alone. Enough to, like, scare some people away from <laughs> online dating. Yeah. Um, and I also was talking to Marnie Panis, and she has an interesting perspective. She's 50, and she started dating last year after ending a long-term relationship. Um, she's starting to get back into the zone now, and she's trying online because it's, in many ways, the only way she could connect. 20 years ago when I was dating you know we didn't have the tinder and we weren't swiping and all these kinds of things so that whole world is is fun um it's and particularly around covid and all the things that are thinking about they're just trying to you know, it's been a very lonely time these last few years anyways and finding looking for companionship and that, that also feels safe that people still align with my values all those kinds of things that's a challenge
1: Yeah, always the challenge of dating, just like finding that right connection. And there's so many things that play into it. But I have to think now with the restrictions easing up, that's one less thing, right? So I mean, is dating getting easier now that we're back open a little
4: bit more? I would say yes. I think it would depend on everyone's experience, but it does appear there's more opportunities at least opening up for things. And people do appear to be getting out more. You go out more on the street and people seem to be trying to connect more with people. (laughs) Yeah. And I also spoke with Crystal Walter, and she's a matchmaker with uh, different bases, including here in Alberta. And she says some people are actually reevaluating what they want out of their romantic relationships, but they're also focusing on self-improvement. You know, they say, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Don't date when you're lonely. Like you're dating to, you know, add, you know, a bonus to your life, not to fill a void. I really feel like a lot of people are trying to make sure that they're in the good space to date, healthy to date, because I think a lot of people were really secluded during COVID. Uh, A lot of people didn't have family in the cities they were living in. Maybe they weren't going into work and they didn't even have a pet.
1: Okay, check, check, check. But also, I love that grocery store line because I've heard it a thousand times. And as much as I hate it, it always does ring a little true, right? Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Well, I will not confirm or deny. Exactly. Um, but okay, so she's on one side of kind of helping people that way. Who else did you speak to that's helping people find these connections? Well, I talked to another matchmaker,
4: Susan Semenwin, and she's president of Divine Intervention. There are also another matchmaking services with operations around Canada, again, including in Alberta. And she says dating apps are still popular despite the little challenges with them, especially among younger people. So she says that nothing compares, however, to that actual real chemistry and the magic that happens when you meet that person face to face. Because we're all about smells and chemistry and pheromones. We're back in the caveman days. We're still primitive that way. So speed dating is definitely there's a resurgence in that. There's a resurgence in business events. There is a resurgence of anything in person. So it's interesting. We've definitely been missing that. We're social animals and we need that connection in person. There's nothing that replaces that. However, the online component was a necessary bridge when there was nothing else going on. So you have to adapt to life and you keep elements of what's working or not.
1: And it's going to be a hybrid, I think, for dating going forward. I love that it does kind of come down to science. Like, I um, know. Like oh, romantic is this like wild, esoteric, romantic thing. But it's like, no, it's it smells. Yep. No, it's it's, it's animal <laughs> instincts.
4: Yeah, it's really interesting, though. And as Susan mentioned, and as I mentioned before, things like that old school staple speed dating, well, they're coming back. Yeah. At least for more like heteronormative couples and things like that, there seem to be more opportunities opening up. I spoke with the organizers of Date and Dash, and that's a speed dating service here in Edmonton. They started running events again in March, and they say some events have already sold out after just a couple days on the market. So it it does suggest to me that at least people are trying to get out there more and trying to find that connection and that special someone.
1: Yeah. And when you were out, I mean, was it busy? Was it
4: packed? What was the vibe when you did your speed dating It was very packed, actually. I was interested. It was an interesting range. I went, I decided to go to two. I booked one. And then I saw there was another day before. And I was like, I've committed at this point. You are brave. I know. <laughs> brave or uh, something else. I don't know. Um, but I went. It was very interesting. Again, the people there were very interesting. I didn't meet any bad people. There was no yeah. bad experience. It's just it's weird to sit in front of a person and basically be like, I'm judging you on if you're going to be a good potential partner. And then you have to take notes on the person. Yeah. And then you're like, and we're journalists. We're used to doing this, but we're other- used to interviewing and taking notes, but not in that setting. I know. And we end up interview. We just end up interviewing people the always, whole
1: time. Always.
4: I did have someone talk about conspiracy theories for five minutes,
1: and Ooh, that was enjoyable. That goes way beyond small talk. I, um, I enjoyed it. But but say okay. So we've moved past this dating phase. That's the connection. But we've defined the relationship, if you will, because um, COVID really did it affected all of our connections and our relationships. So what does this mean for folks who were more committed, like married couples? I mean. What did the pandemic do to them?
4: I want to give people hope, but unfortunately, (laughs) from some of the people I've talked to, a lot are splitting up. Not Mm. all, of course, but some are. In 2020, according to Statistics Canada, Alberta saw the fewest divorces in 40 years, which suggested that was a good sign. However, one lawyer I spoke with says that was partially because the courts were closed and it was just too hard of a process. So people just Uh. put it on hold. Now, Jordan Crear says her law firm, CBH Family Law, is busier than ever with divorces and separations. Certainly during uh,
2: COVID, um, people came to the conclusion that that was it. They were done. And definitely we have people like that. They were done. And certainly we had
1: people who were kind of on a break from pursuing their whole divorce package during COVID. And now they're like, let's get going And I see these people
2: separating and divorcing and moving forward with their lives very much. They're out dating already. They're excited to get moving forward.
4: And despite this, Marnie Panis, the dater we had talked to earlier, says she's still optimistic about finding love. I've been through long-term relationships. I've turned 50 this year so I'm owning being 50 so I think you know that's kind of changed how I've perceived my world around me. I have been in a committed relationship with myself. I love being independent. I'm going into this part of my life really wanting to focus on on me and all the things I want to do but I also want to do that with somebody.
1: Oh, I'm here for it, Marnie. I'm I know. with you. It's, it's, I think that's a really
4: healthy perspective. Dude. Yeah. Honestly, I like to say I would rather be alone for five years and find the right person than spend that five years miserable with like three different people or something.
1: Yeah. Well, and relationships are supposed to bring you something good, right? Mm-hmm. Like why not find something good? Yeah. They should add value to your
4: life. They shouldn't be the main part of your life, though, which exactly. I think is important. And like you can hear, Marnie isn't closing that door on a potential connection. Um, And it may also be how a lot of people are feeling right now. Like we heard before, a lot are working on themselves while also trying to find that person who just compliments them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's always interesting as a reporter when you get to cover a story that relates quite directly to your life, um, kind of answer some of your own questions almost, right? As a single gal yourself, you seem to have a pretty healthy perspective on dating and the whole thing. But did you have any takeaways from this? mostly
4: that everyone kind of has the same experience sometimes like especially if you're single you're like at home at night and you're just kind of like no one will ever love me I'm all alone all that stuff those sad things watching like Jane Austen movies and all that stuff yeah and then you realize other people have that same experience and you just have to be happy with yourself so I personally try to do stuff that I enjoy by myself and if I happen to meet people whether they're friends or romantic connections along that way that's fine. And I think that's how everyone should live. Like a connection hopefully will come for everyone. Yeah. But, but choose yourself first. Yeah. And it takes some time.
1: The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Olivia O, oh, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnieman. Thank you so much for listening.
0: And I mean, this week, that's the first time we've talked about cars on this show. <laughs> Some ends in heaven. We have a range here.
1: It's a room room show. Yeah,
0: we can talk about all sorts of things. And, of course, <laughs> there's so much more to know. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, help us help you get into The Loop with us every Friday. And uh, leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen. And if you have a story or an idea that uh, we should know about. Yeah. Uh, or you just want to say hi, email us at the Loop. At cbc.ca, or you can reach out online using the hashtag, hashtag the loop CBC, or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Dariwal, and Claire is at Nami Knob. Yeah. And share the show with your friends and find us on CBC Listen or your favorite podcast. But it all adds to the uh, provenance, provenance? No, provenance or something like that. Provenance? <laughs> provenance? Provenance? <laughs>